Okay, so Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8. And it came to pass afterward that Jesus went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Uh, I'll stop there. And, uh, he went to every city and village. Uh, he didn't just go to the big cities and do what was maybe humanly sensible to just stand up and teach in a big city. He went to the villages and I think in some of the other gospels it says that he, he actually went into all the, the very small villages um, like pretty well individual homes and I think that reflects how he cared for people. That all the little people he thought were important and he really perceived the value of of the human person, of the individual. And it says he preached and he showed the glad tidings, the gospel of the kingdom. So the good news is that Jesus is coming back and will establish the kingdom on earth. But Jesus didn't only preach that, he showed it. And that is what you know, really we should be doing. If we believe that we are going to live forever in God's kingdom on earth, then we will show that, not just preach it, not just teach it, not just believe it as a set of words, but that we will show that. Okay, two. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, that is, they'd been mentally disturbed, and now they've been cured, uh, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, head of Stuart, Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Now, there was Jesus walking around with the twelve with him, verse 1, and also a bunch of women who had previously been mentally disturbed. You can just imagine the amount of gossip there was, particularly in the Palestinian society, difference between men and women, the fact that there was a group of men and a group of wealthy women wandering around following this one man. You can, you know, every time that we have a situation in our life, like for example, we're gossiped about, we're misunderstood, we're slandered, we've got to see the points of contact between our situation and that of Jesus. And any time we're slandered, gossiped about, you can be sure that He in heaven sees that and He knows what it's all about. Okay, verse 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. That's Jesus is the sower, sowing the good seed, his seed, the seed of his word. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he shouted out, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now, that indicates, incidentally, that the parables are not just simple stories with an obvious allegorical meaning. For example, this equals that. They actually are designed so that people will not understand, and that those who want to understand will, but those who don't will not. And that is the difference, I think, between us and this world, that the world does not understand because they don't want to understand. And the parables are like a lot of things that God uses and designs there to sort out who's serious and who isn't. And those who don't 
Want to understand? Will not. Okay. Verse 11, he says, Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then comes the devil and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. So I think that that uh, parable of the sower, it happens every time we hear the word of God. But as we read the Bible, as we hear the message of Jesus, you know, sometimes with a good ground, sometimes with a bad ground, um, And the point is that there's so much to distract us, and that is the problem. This problem in life, that problem, this situation, they are doing this to me, she said that, he thinks that. All these things distract us. And that's really what this parable is about, as I see it, about being distracted, being choked with cares and riches, pleasures, whatever they are. Then he says, verse 16... And verse 16 uh, is explaining to us, I think, how we can be the good ground, how we can really hear God's word. He says, No man, when he's lighted a candle, covers it with a bucket, but puts it on a candlestick. So then, if we are the, the light, if we are a candle, if other people don't know our belief, if we don't share that word that God has given us, if we don't burn it, it'll go out. So we ourselves will lose the light unless we share it with others. And so we might think, well, I can believe, I can accept God's word into myself and just, that's wonderful, keep it to myself privately. But actually if we do that, we will lose it. It's a great paradox. So somehow the people with whom we live and mix, they've got to be able to see that something is radically different about us. And remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he also said, you are the light of the world. So we are him to this world. To the point that for a lot of people with whom we mix, they will never see anything of Jesus apart from what they see of us. You know, we are the body of Christ. He has no other arms or hands or legs in this world apart from us. And so I think that is why he he tells that parable straight after the parable of the the sower to show us how actually we can let God's word uh, stay in our lives and it's through sharing it with others. So, going on. There's a story of the the storm on the lake. When it says, verse 23, that Jesus was asleep, and they were about to drown, and they said, Master, wake up, wake up. I really find it difficult to believe that Jesus was really asleep. It seems to me that he was purposefully being silent to lead them to that point where they begged him to get up and do something and I think that that explains for me the apparent silence of God I mean you've just been saying Sherwin about um, how the hopeless situation that you're in and I can imagine that for you you're feeling that God must appear silent and in a sense he is Um, and we all go through that but why is God so silent and 
one of the reasons is so that we might even more desperately ask him to, to get up and, and do something. So that's why I, I think that when it says Jesus was asleep while they were drowning pretty well, I think that he maybe wasn't really asleep but was just uh, appearing asleep. Now, going, going on there, there's this woman, verse 43, this woman with this blood disease, verse 44, and she came <clears throat> behind him and touched his, his garment. And in the other Gospels it says that she did that because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. And this is a common misunderstanding that a lot of people have. If I touch something holy like a cross, a crucifix, an icon or something, then I will get blessing. And she had this belief. And Jesus doesn't say to, to her, Nah, sorry, you're wrong. I'm not going to heal you because you don't understand me properly. He does cure her, but he says to her in verse 48, Your faith has made you whole. In other words, he's saying, You know, it wasn't that you touched my clothes. It's not that my clothes are holy in themselves. It's, the, it's your faith which has made you whole. It's your faith that's brought about the healing. But he went along with her misunderstanding. And there are times in all our human relationships where we have to be like Jesus. And you've got to go along with people sometimes um, with all their weaknesses of understanding and focus upon the essence. And that the essence is, is in this case, of, of faith. And then he, he heals that little girl after they'd all mocked him that she's already dead anyway he, he heals her in verse 55 she gets up and he commands to give her something to eat now I think that's um, wonderful and a couple of times he does this he cures somebody or heals them and he says now, now give the kid something to eat because I mean she hadn't eaten for a long time she had been totally you know, lying there I guess sick, sick, not eating and she was starving hungry can you imagine everyone else would have been jumping around with joy that she's been resurrected but probably nobody else would have thought the poor kid's hungry and I just love that sensitivity of Jesus and in Hebrews it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever which means that the Jesus who cared for little children the Jesus who was so sensitive even when he resurrected somebody to think huh, I bet they're really hungry give the kids something to eat I, that same Jesus is the Jesus of today and the Jesus that we will meet tomorrow in the day of judgment and forever be with him so when we feel that nobody knows nobody really sees my situation just like you're saying that nobody understands then uh, this is true on this earth nobody does exactly but there is in heaven the Jesus who is so sensitive and how do we know he, was so, he is so sensitive because we can read here in the Gospels as we have done in Luke 8 about his sensitivity to people even down to a very small level like she's just been resurrected so ah, she's probably hungry give her something to eat um, that very small level sensitivity that he had a sensitivity about relatively small things that same Jesus is the one who is sensitive, of course, to the big things. Every, every, you know, 
bad thing that we experience, every hurt feeling that we have hurts him. And it's amazing comfort. So we're going to take the, the bread and wine now, um, the bread and juice, as a you know, the symbol that we know that he is there and that he will come again and that really he had all our feelings and all our sufferings and that really we will live forever with him in the very end when all is said and done in this life in the end what have we got? we've only got him because we shall die and ultimately this life is just very very brief like a few millimeters compared to a very long line eternal line of God's kingdom the eternal life and in the end he wants us to be there that's for sure